salvation comes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A blessed second Sunday in Advent. Populous Zion to all of you. Advent means coming. And it's a season in the church year in which we reflect on the first coming of Jesus in humility, enthroned in the womb of the Virgin. But also on the second coming of Jesus in glory, enthroned on the clouds. The name given to this Sunday in Advent is Populus Zion. It's a play on the words of the prophet Isaiah, daughter of Zion, which we heard just a few moments ago in the intro at the entrance psalm. Now modified to Populus Zion, people of Zion. The point being that we Gentiles are now to see ourselves included in God's promises, being grafted into Israel as we are, as we heard St. Paul teaching in Romans chapter 15. Not only to Mary, not only to the Jews, not only to the people of the first century, but unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you haven't dusted off Handel's Messiah yet, now is as good a time as any. I've titled today's homily, Your Salvation Comes. And I've done so because whether we're reflecting on the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem or the powers of the heavens being shaken at his return, the message to God's people is the same. Your salvation comes. Can we look to the end of the world with the same joy with which we look to Christmas? Can we see in the second coming of Jesus the greatest Christmas of all? To do so would certainly fly in the face of most of American Christianity which is so quick to sensationalize and profit from all manner of so-called end times teaching. Perhaps the biggest promoters of end times fear in the church in America is the church in America. With news app in one hand and book of revelation in the other, we're led to speculate whether or not Saddam Hussein is the antichrist or whether Black Hawk helicopters are the locusts in Revelation 9. Oh wait, that was the end times mania of a few decades ago. It came and it passed. But still, the American church has learned no lesson. And what continues within so many American churches is the same kind of wild speculation that yielded false predictions and false interpretations time and time again. We are witness to a complete abuse of the scriptures in service of generating end times fear, end times mania, end times intrigue. As our mainstream media knows all too well, fear sells. And thus, even after decades of foolish speculation and proven false teaching concerning the end times, these quote-unquote churches still continue to draw large crowds. Indeed, it's not uncommon today to find many who count themselves Christians 
who are more enamored with hearing about the Antichrist than hearing about the real Christ. Turning away from this pop Christianity, we turn toward the teaching of Jesus himself in our gospel. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, he says. And on earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. In our Lord's teaching, we hear of nations that are in distress and people fainting with fear, but nothing that describes the Christian, the disciple of Jesus. Rather, we hear of the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ, coming with power and in great glory. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. The one who so loved us that he laid down his life for us on the cross. The one who even now daily and richly forgives us all our sins. The one who comes to redeem us and heal us and set all things right. This is the one who's coming? Sign me up. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's precisely our Lord's point. When you see signs in the heavenly bodies, nations in distress, or people fainting with fear, straighten up, at least that's the English Standard Version, more literally, look up and raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Our Lord Jesus himself, lover of our souls, who not only loves you but also likes you, desires to dwell with you, with us, forever. Our Lord's entire point is that his disciples need not fear the end times, or worry about the end times, or obsess about the end times. But rather, when we see the signs, when we see others distressed and in fear, we ought to look up, raise our heads, and set our eyes on Jesus. Who better to come with power and great glory than our Savior, beloved bridegroom, and friend? Indeed, Jesus himself says your redemption is drawing near. Judgment day is salvation day. How wonderful is the imagery of that hymn we just sang. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. I'll read a couple verses to you. Every eye shall now behold him, robed in glorious majesty. Those who set at naught and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing shall their true Messiah see. Those dear tokens of his passion, still his dazzling body bears, cause of endless exaltation to his ransomed worshipers. With what rapture 
gaze we on those glorious scars. At his return, it's the sight of Jesus' wounds that proves definitive. For some, the sight of those wounds on his body is cause for deep wailing. For this is he whom they tried to kill and would kill still, would eliminate entirely if only they could. But for others, the sight of those wounds is precisely the cause of endless exaltation. For those are the glorious scars by which he bought us, jewels of his grace, signs of his everlasting love. This helps us to understand what our Lord is getting at when he says that this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. The cross is the judgment and the end of the world manifest within the world. What do I mean by that? Exactly what our Lord himself means when he says in John's gospel, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler, Satan, of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And John tells us explicitly that Jesus said this in order to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In other words, now is the judgment, the cross, is the judgment. The judgment is brought into time. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who want nothing to do with Christ, save to silence him, exclude him, and eliminate him. And those who see in this very persecution of him their own salvation. For by his wounds we are healed, and by his blood we are cleansed. Indeed, that the last judgment is imminent in every generation is in fact thoroughgoing in our Lord's own teaching. For example, you probably know these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, our Lord says. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. What's he talking about? But his holy incarnation and his cross. The final judgment is manifest even now. Do people love the light? Do they love Jesus? Do they hate the light and hate Jesus? It's just that simple. When our Lord returns, some will run to him and dwell in his eternal light, and some will flee from him and dwell in eternal darkness. In this sense, in every generation, the end times are already upon us, and the signs of his coming 
nations in distress, people fainting with fear, bad news everywhere we turn. These things shouldn't cause us to be morose or gloomy. Rather, they should cause us to lift up our heads and look up, for these are the signs that our redemption is coming near, that eternal Christmas is in fact about to dawn. When our Lord comes and all of creation trembles and shakes, fantastic. He's already removed Satan and the wicked angels from heaven, and now he's going to remove Satan and all the wicked men from earth. What could be better? The end times is literally nothing other than the return of the king, the true king, that he might usher in a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and this old earth will pass away, but our Lord's words will not. Strange, isn't it, how Jesus teaches the end times? No wild speculation, no guesswork, no discussion of helicopters, no fascination with evil, just a flat-out promise that he is coming to make all things right. So if you want to be truly ready for his return, don't buy the next end times book or attend the next 67-week series on the end times at your local megachurch. It's much more simple and wholesome than that. If you want to be prepared for the end times, repent. Confess your sins to Jesus and receive his forgiveness, just as we did a few moments ago and just as we do every single Sunday. It's not end times mania, that Jesus tells his church to preach, but repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. That is what the church of Jesus should be doing, and it is, in fact, what the church of Jesus is doing. If you want to be well prepared to meet your Lord on the last day, then come and meet him here at his altar this day. The same Jesus you meet here, who comes in meekness and humility, is the same Jesus you will meet there when he comes in power and glory. Approach your judge this day and hear what he says to you as he places the sin-atoning sacrifice into your lips. For you, he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. We go to Holy Communion as if to the judgment, so that when we go to the judgment, it's as if going to Holy Communion. And in both, we meet the one who is called Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus, for he has and will save us from our sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.